0: Hi, and welcome to the Young Family Small Business Podcast, the show that deep dives into conversations with experts in small business, raising a young family, or are shining examples of mastery in both. My name is Ben Walker, and I'm the founder of Inspire, Life-Changing Accountants, and the host of this podcast. This episode is sponsored by Inspire, Life-Changing Accountants. We've worked with thousands of business owners since we started in 2013, and we're best known for saving our client base a title of $17 million in tax and counting. For every dollar of tax we proactively save a small business, Inspire donates a day worth of access to life-changing food, water, health, or sanitation services to a family in need. If you're interested in speaking with an accountant to see how we could help your business, head to Inspire.business/Chat. G'day and welcome to another episode of Young Family Small Business. In this interview, I was speaking with Glenn Carlson, who's the co-founder of Dent Global, best known for the award-winning Keep Personal Influence book and Business Accelerator program. From the chaos of the GFC, Glenn has built Dent into what entrepreneur.com refers to as the world's leading brand accelerator, and with five business acquisitions under his belt and a team of 45 across 12 time zones. Dent has shaped the trajectory of hundreds of best-selling authors, TED speakers, and multi-award winning fast growth companies. In 2021, Virgin named Dent as the business enabler of the year and the growing business awards named them the best advisor of the year. And his passion is helping entrepreneurs stand out, scale up, and use their business to make a positive impact in the world, or as he would say, make a dent in the universe. We talked about things like um, him growing up and, and spending a lot of his childhood on a boat, which was quite cool. Uh, And then he gives some really um, practical examples on how to build your business brand and your personal brand. uh, And also this idea of oversubscribed um, and how a scorecard can also turbocharge your leads and sales process. Uh, So do check it out. Uh, Again, we've got lots of links in the show notes for next steps, and especially check out those online workshops that Glenn hosts uh, pretty regularly if you do want to find out more. So uh, thanks for listening and hope you enjoy. Hey, Glenn, uh, so good to have you on the podcast today. Thanks so much for um, joining.
1: Ben, I'm stoked, mate. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Um, hey, the first question I always kick off with is tell us a bit about your family. Who's in it? And um, yeah,
1: uh, Well, my, myself, my would-be wife, but for COVID, so my fiancé, <laughs> and our uh, two-and-three-quarter-ish year-old, Mila, uh, yeah. then my mum as well. Uh, and dad and her mum and a stepdad.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, cool. And what do you guys like to do? Um, yeah, just spend time together as a family.
1: Uh, did I mention the two and three quarter year old? Um, <laughs> uh, mate, uh, we were living in Bondi. Like when you and I met, I think I was living in mm-hmm. Bondi. I'd lived there for about seven years. I was a uh, a clubby at the Bondi Surf Club. I was doing all that sort of stuff. Running the business there. Uh, Sarah uh grew up, lived and grew up in Wagga and she had a professional mm. career there in, in sales and software sales and international business and you know when we got together living in Bondi that was epic uh but then as soon as we had Mila we actually had Mila in a home birth in a house at Bondi all, all of a sudden they just ugh, like that area wasn't vibing for us in terms of where we wanted to raise a family and so mm. Uh, this is as COVID was starting to rear its little head and, and we had a lease that was ending and we started looking around. Long story short, we found an epic spot, which is where I am right now in Jindabyne in the Snowy Mountains, bottom of the, uh, the Perisher and Threadbow snow resorts for, for people that don't know. So it's a, a, a snow and ski and mountain biking town and a beautiful big lake. And anyway, I, I came and saw this place and I was I went to Sarah. I'm like, do you, do you feel like a tree change, uh, a bit of an adventure? And she's like, what are you thinking? It's like, what about Jindabyne? And she's like, where's Jindaby? Um <laughs> And so we moved here. And so that's it. by way of answering your question, mm. we've kind of gone from a bit of sort of a, a city life, leveraging COVID, pushing our business into online only, therefore totally location dependent. And we've moved here. So a lot of the stuff that we do as a family is Sarah will nosh up a, a big breakfast picnic and we'll go down to the lake and go for a swim and go for a paddleboard or something like that while we have a breakfast or you know, literally after this podcast where we're going up for some swimming lessons for Mila and some uh, and some slippery sliding. Sarah will do some laps of the pool and you know, I'll babysit both of them and just a little bit more of that outdoor adventure stuff growing our veggies outside Mm. Uh, so that's a bit of a family experience there's something about sitting down at the table and eating food that you've procured yourself so i don't know if that sort of answers the question but other than just juggling family that's sort of the stuff that we we stick to yeah no
0: that that was absolutely yeah the the thing i was asking for and and what was some of the main realizations moving? Because Bondo's really fast paced, like right? from, I've mean, only been there a handful of times, but what, what were the biggest sort of realizations maybe after you, you moved? Um, like, was it what you thought or better?
1: Well, it's interesting, right? So I, I, I've lived, for the majority of my life, I, I've lived either in sort of Melbourne, in Port Melbourne, in Bondi, in London. I lived in Bali for mm. two years. And what I found by moving to Jindabyne is it's it's not I mean it's it's remarkably different to Bondi, but there are some common themes in the sense mm. that it's a it's a real destination. It's a you know it's a holiday destination. It's it's kind of got this it's you wouldn't call it cosmopolitan, but you attract a lot of, you know, very successful, cool people doing cool things in the mm. same way they kind of flock to Bondi in the same way they flock to bon, uh, London in the same way they flocked to Bali. They they also flock to Ginderbyne. And so it's been this interesting Sort of theme where it's like, oh, okay, like I, I don't find myself just out in the middle of straight up nowhere. Yep. Um, you know even when we do a tree change, uh, it, it's kind of got this uh, interesting theme about it. so I, I guess that was that mm. was interesting. in terms of lessons, being closer to the ground, if you like, having friends that are actually primary producers, oh, farmers, wow. etc. And just starting to understand more about the food supply and where it comes from, and some of those challenges, and some of the the you know the the well to be blunt, a lot of chemicals and a lot of the stuff that's being poured onto our soils and into our into our food supply that most people really have no conscious awareness of has really brought our family back to really caring about where we source our products, where we source our food, how we orient our life to live in a high impact way mm. in terms of the value that we offer the world, but a low impact way in terms of our, you could call it, I guess, footprint on the planet. And don't get me wrong, I, I drive cars and I fly in planes and I, and I think the, the, the planet can handle that. But mm. there's some things that I think the, the planet can't handle. I, I don't think we get to do everything. Uh, mm. I, I don't think we get to have cars and fly in planes and enjoy high technology and be a gigantic burden on the planet in all these areas that really we can choose very effectively not to be. Now, this has nothing to do with my, my business, business advisory, the stuff that I normally do, but in terms yeah. of like what I slash we have learnt awesome. in that shift, it's it's really been this earthing, this grounding out in terms of um, well, for us at least, what's what's meaningful, what's important, and what feels really life enriching.
0: Yeah. Yep. No, thanks. Thanks for sharing that. And I feel like um, even I can relate to that, that sort of search for that grounding and and sort of with the intensity of you know, running a business and, and young kids, it's like, how do we, how do we sort of chill out and, and get back to making sure we're not putting that sort of stress on our, our bodies or our nervous system in like where we can actually choose to not uh, do that. So no, very cool. And um, one of the other questions I've got around family is, uh, do you have any sort of tips for the listeners on balancing not only the business, but with your relationship with Sarah, like what have you done there to sort of um, you know keep keep an eye on that or build that relationship?
1: Yeah. So interestingly, so Sarah uh, actually, I, I met Sarah at one of our conferences. So you've been to our conferences, you know, mm. when we were when we do the big live events, we'd have five hundred plus people in an audience, and I, I was usually the MC, and we'd have a, a series of our our business mentors that that would speak to a big audience, and then many of that audience would become our clients and all that sort of stuff. And anyway. Mm here's this, Here's this beautiful woman in a this this beautiful black top and these short little shorts and and she's just radiating from the front row'm i like who is this and of course it was it was Sarah and um you know when I heard about her professional background it was it was like wow who who is this girl now strangely, I was in a maybe not strangely, but I was already in a relationship, but it it wasn't lighting either of us up, and you know here comes this this creature who just <laughs> blows into my world and, and the best thing i i knew how to do at the time uh was offer her a job which after much negotiation because uh this was a woman who <laughs> knew her worth uh yeah, pull, had to pull some strings find some money uh some more money than i planned and gave her a job and then very quickly i wound out of my old relationship and, and very quickly like within about uh three or four months sarah and i were in love and trying to keep it quiet. Well, trying to make sure the team didn't know about it because we, we didn't want it <laughs> to be that kind of a yeah, yeah. that kind of a thing. And and look, we had a wild ride, I suppose, you know, professionally for about twelve months until we started to decide because you know the gift I get to bring to my organization is leadership, mm. and I'm the boss. And there really wasn't it, it wasn't comfortable for me to be Sarah's boss. And it wasn't appropriate for Sarah or anyone in the organization to have, I guess, special privileges, if you like, through you know, pure nepotism. And so, you know, the, the situation we were in, looking to start a family, etc. Sarah wound out of working in the business, but was you know, still a, a powerful support to me in terms of how we build and how we, we grow the business. That said... For me, at least, and maybe for some of your listeners, it's very easy for me to get very distracted on the business and on my mission and, and building what I want to build and doing what I want to do. And one thing we started to find early was that it would be very easy for Sarah to feel a bit left out and that that would be the priority, et cetera. And so mm. what we ended up creating was something we just call a life meeting. We do it. We, we used to do it every week. Now with Mila, we do it every two weeks. Um, yeah. But it's essentially a meeting where we create a container we create a safe space for us to share what's going on for us the good the updates the bad and it's usually about three hours where it's in our calendar and we just hang out with each other you know these days babysitter has to be organized and all that sort of there's some more logistics around it than there used to be but and i stole this for sort of how we run our team meetings right because often i'd be in the middle of you know i'd be running for a podcast or i'd be jumping on a team meeting or it'd be solving some kind of problem or going in for an interview or whatever it is and Sarah would have a an issue not like an issue but like a, just life you know like here, here's a mm-hmm. problem and kind of as I'm swinging past the kitchen to get to my office she'd like lob it at me and it was like oh <laughs> then I kind of get getting hit with all this sort of stuff and I'd throw her a, a quick re- response which wasn't enough and I wasn't present at all and that's not good right mm-hmm. so we were able to create this space where in the same way my team if they have an issue they just add it to a list and then when we come together for the team, we go through that list. If there was something like travel or family or whatever related, I can add it to the list, Sarah can add it to the list. And then we've got this great kind of language frame which we can set up and go whether, if some of them, sometimes they're just logistics issues. It's like, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. this happening, where are we gonna be there, this holiday, family's coming in, did it tick, 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 like making sure that the, the business and my time can be split effectively. And not like, oh, parents are coming over or family's coming over or friends are coming over or dinner party and, oh, I'm not there. I've got a speaking gig. And it's like, you know, so there's this great weekly, now fortnightly kind of rhythm for doing that. But also relationships as it's has its shit and people hmm. kind of get, we, we get our noses out of joint and, and that can really fester. And what we both didn't like is when something had built up, built up, built up, and then it was like a yeah. kind of, a, a kaboom moment was what we found is with these with these meetings we could both put stuff in our little list that we wanted to bring up and we could bring it up and we could say look i'm just sharing this from a space of resonance i don't need a resolution i'm coming here from cause and taking 100 percent personal responsibility but you know this is this is how i feel this is what's going on and you know this is what i'd like mm. and that was a game changer yeah, because awesome. I got I got to be I get to be a hundred percent present in that, not distracted, not other things going on. I get to hear everything else that's going on with a high degree of fidelity, and I know I don't need to fix anything. Like a lot of that times, it's just understanding what's happening and da da da. Whereas when I'm in work mode, I'm in fix mode, mm-hmm. right? So so when I get thrown little things, when I'm in fix mode, it's like all right, I'll get on and fix that. And like just do the. That's not that wasn't the that's not what was needed, right? What was needed is, is quality time and attention and presence and connection and collaboration and, and coming together. And I, I like to try and organize my world where I don't have to be in collaboration mode all the time. I can do what I do, which is I get stuff done and I can kind of unilaterally make decisions and, and solve problems and what have you. And that's that works for me, but it doesn't work for me in a in a relationship. So I'd say that would be one of the best things that we do that keeps us together keeps us intimate keeps like a bridge between mm. the business dent and home life but without colliding those two worlds together into a a dirty smush which again in my experience just didn't work well yeah
0: well that's um no, th- thanks so much for sharing that stuff and I uh, can definitely relate to the <laughs> you know going going to grab a coffee in the kitchen and then just those those things have been been sort of Thrown at you and you're like ah hang on, <laughs> but yeah mate that's um that's super powerful, thank you. Um, and switching gears from the the family side of things, could you give us a bit of background on on you as an entrepreneur and and how you like a bit of your journey from I guess when you when you were at school right through to um, before you started dent because uh, I think that paints yeah. a really cool cool picture.
1: Yeah. So my dad was a shipwright in the navy, he built boats for a living. My mum was a hairdresser and. You know, we we're, were living in Perth at the time, and my dad went to my mum's mum, Ivy, and he said, "I've got an itch that I don't quite know how to scratch. I, like, you know, works good, like right, with the navy, and and family's good, but now I feel like something's missing mm. in life." And and you know, my my nana said to him, and I've only obviously heard this in 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 the telling of it. Uh, I I wasn't around at this point. I was super young at this point, like maybe. Three, my nana said, "If you to my dad, if you were on your deathbed looking back and had a mm. big regret, something you didn't do, something important, what do you think it might be?" And it didn't take dad very long to respond and say, "Well, sail around the world with wow. my family." And nana just responded. Nana's Ivy part, she's passed now. She got to ninety-six, I think ninety-seven. Mm. Good innings. But uh, she just responded with a twinkle of wisdom in her eye that I think only comes when you've been around that long. She just said, uh, well, what would you do if you weren't afraid? Now to my dad, that was like the, the, red, the, the, <laughs> the, red, uh, the red flag to a bull, right? He's just like, yeah. you're right. Like, I'm not afraid. I just needed to kind of connect that. And within a two-year period, he'd resigned from the Navy after mm-hmm. 25 years on a full pension, built our boat as part of a Navy project, which is kind of cool, and And off we went. I was six when we left Australia, and I was 14 when we got back. So it sailed around the world for seven years. And that was an experience of, on one hand, freedom, adventure, autonomy, you know, Mm. wild. Didn't like where you were, pull up the anchor, go somewhere else. The world is a very small place. Mm. um, And people the world over are inherently good. And, uh, you know, we were in Oman coming up the Red Sea. And then through Saudi Arabia up to the yeah the Suez Canal mm-hmm. in early ninety one right this is a long time ago just yep. just as just as we're in Cyprus actually when officially the first Gulf War broke out and cool. by the time we kind of hightailed it out of the Med across the Atlantic got to America etc yeah you know, I'm seeing all this what I can only talk to now is propaganda about you know the religion of Islam and Muslims, Mm. all this sort of stuff. And yet when we were there in, on the ground, right? So we'd Mm. we'd, we'd sail into a port and as a a family with a young kid, right? I, I might be eight at this point or seven or eight, seven and a half, something like that. Walking into town to do some shopping, we would have cars going the other way, stop, turn around, apologize. We weren't even hitchhiking, just apologize for not being able to pick us up and take us where we want to go. The amount of times we were invited to come and share food and drink in people's, well, not drink, but, you know, in people's home, um, (laughs) which we accepted, you know, over and over and over again, like the uh, the hospitality of that culture and that community, which has its flaws, as all do, Hmm. was just outstanding. And so, you know, I'm a kid getting confused, going, hang on let's." Talking about the people that that doesn't seem right and as a real kid just trying to sort of get this stuff right in my head and, and anyway look i suppose long story short you know having experiences like the pyramids and and standing at the top of the world trade centers and and you know patting 120 year old tortoises in the galapagos and you know just just na- naturally learning how to look after yourself because on a boat when you're you know in the middle of an ocean like going from panama to Galapagos, that was a 21-day sale, right? So mm-hmm. in the middle of it, you're, you're 10 days in any direction from the nearest point of land, right? No rescue. And you extrapolate that out to seven years sort of doing stuff like that, mm-hmm. learning from my dad, learning from my mom on, I guess, how to take real personal responsibility because there is no other option. There is no backup plan. There is no one to hear your excuses, right? If something goes wrong, you fix it and you, you, you solve it. And so I guess that became a bit of a metaphor for me. Came back to high school, parents went to work, saw them working like dogs to try and support the family in a very traditional way. Dad went back to fixing boats. Mom was got into real estate, which is like not her thing, like real estate sales. And so kind of very early on, I, I kind of shaped like this freedom, adventure, autonomy thing, that was a good gig but mm. it kind of needs either a pension <laughs> and the desire to, to do it on a super shoestring which mm. was really only enabled by my dad's experience as a skipper as a sailor as a yachtsman it yeah. wouldn't have been possible without that you couldn't have bought your way through we couldn't have bought our way through it or you need to make some money and so that's kind of i guess what what drove me into the the focus i suppose which was really the focus of the first 10 years of of our business was let's solve the money problem and so business i suppose became my vehicle for freedom autonomy adventure as dad's was and still is a boat mine's sort of business and so that's what drove dan and i who was a mate from high school and we started our first business and we're promoting authors and speakers and all of a sudden we realized that oh wow there's this thing called influence and we can help package these people up and 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 they're easier to promote. We can draw a crowd and we can put big audiences together. But at the time, we were only taking a clip of the ticket, right? We are event promoters that were helping our speakers become more well-positioned in their industry to make it easier for us to sell tickets. And so we were giving away all this huge value for a very limited return. And then it was the GFC that wiped that business off the face of the earth and then forced us to come back, I suppose, to the the drawing table with or the drawing board with a, a degree of new humility Hmm. to explore well like what's the most valuable thing we have to offer and you know it was very easy to be distracted thinking that the thing we had to offer was we know how to promote events and conferences where actually we realized that the most valuable thing that we weren't capitalizing on was we had this ability to position people and businesses in their industry so they kind of stood out cut through the noise and you know that's what uh, we started really focusing on with the launch of the key person influence book and programs and mm. business that you know later popped up the uh, the the global umbrella of Dent as a as a brand and as a name and as a call to arms even and you know, make a dent in the universe uh, mm. Steve Jobs's kind of famous quote and yeah that's been the last 11 years building our our business accelerators around the world
0: yeah how good and um, I've I've been lucky enough to go through the uh the key person of influence program twice or i kind of say one, one and a half <laughs> one and a half times cuz the first time i did it our life was a bit hectic and i uh, i didn't get through it but um, but yeah w- would you be able to sort of share some of the methodology that you help businesses go through because from from my perspective it's been one of our key points of success is actually leaning into the framework i i still if we're going to launch a product uh, i i still go back to the, some of those worksheets that we uh, we did back then like yeah, it's a great program, but could you walk us through for people who haven't heard yeah. about the, the program, what, what does it look like? And um, yeah.
1: Yeah, sure. So I suppose the underlying premise is if someone's already good at what they do, they've got a track record, like, you, like you, you're an accountant, you've mm. been an accountant, you're a great accountant, you knew how to do that, right? So extrapolate that out across about 60 different industries. Once people get good at what they do, they tend to then experience the frustration of like, well, where's the financial reward for all this skill set that I'm mm. pouring out to the world? And it's often kind of covered by this romantic notion that just getting good at what you do equals, will, will equal success, right? We're taught at school, just get good grades, tick the boxes, and you'll be successful. That's just not how it works uh, in the world. And, and it's almost like if you think back to the Industrial Revolution, right? All you had to do was make something and people would buy it, right? So selling was not hard because it was so damn hard to make anything, right? It was like, imagine making a pair of scissors, yeah. For the first time. Like the, the super useful. <laughs> m- mining the metal, right? The, mm. the the foundries required, the infrastructure required, the 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 you know, the manufacturing capability, the the shit that went in mm. to a pair of scissors was insane. And so it was very easy to sell scissors because it was so hard to make them. And that was the same for pretty much everything until now in the digital age, it's very easy. To offer services, it's very easy to put up your shingle and say, I'm a coach, I'm a consultant, I'm a trainer, I'm an accountant, I'm an insurance person, I'm a mortgage broker, I'm an interior designer, you, you name it. There's so much competition for all those things, not just with people, but with technology now. It's not the delivery of something. It's it's not the manufacturer of the supply, if you like, that's hard. It's it become the manufacturer of demand, right? It's how to get people lining up mm. to do business with you. And 99 out of 100 people that I talked to in small business, if they just had a waiting list of people that were well qualified, that wanted to pay a premium to work with them, that would be such a massive release, relief, if you like, because based on Google's first CEO, Eric Schmidt said, revenue fixes everything, right? If you could just solve this demand problem, have enough people wanting to work with you, that would give you the resources you need to fix mm. all the other issues that come up growing and, and scaling an organization. There's no point getting caught into culture or systems or you know automation or any of that shit if you can't generate new business effortlessly or if you're so stressed with the anxiety mm. and the lack of cash flow to be able to do all that stuff and it all just gets very messy, which is why most small businesses stay small. So that's the setup. What we learned originally running events was if you take someone that's good at what you, they do, and we would then go in and work with them on, on their message, their pitch, right? So they can have a powerful message to, to the world. We directed them towards publishing thought leadership, blogs, articles, getting featured in the media, writing books, right? It builds a lot of industry visibility, developing products that could be sold, sold anywhere in the world at any time. So, so scalable digital products, not just time based businesses, building profile online, in the media, winning awards, things of that nature, Mm -hmm. collaborating with big brands, partnerships, kind of those things, which then became the the methodology in the Key Person of Influence book around pitch and publish and product and profile and partnerships. They're like the five Mm -hmm. pillars of influence, if you like. And so, essentially, we decided to put together an accelerator Program inspired by the very early days of of Y Combinator and 500 startups in America. This is Mm. the early days that produced like Dropbox and these things. But we wanted to do it for service businesses, for your traditional everyday small business. And the first thing Dan and I realized is that we've got a lot of IP in terms of how we do this, but we aren't the experts, and we don't want to be the experts, and we don't want to build another guru business. And so we instantly just started looking for the Entrepreneurs that had been there, done that, got the T-shirt in each of those pillars, right? Successful high net worth entrepreneurs that you know crushed it as a result of a powerful pitch, or nailed it as a result of being a, a best-selling author, or had you know, a, a particular expertise in how to think about turning a, a service business into a digital product business. And we bring those mentors in in a structured format to work with our clients, and that's since spread around the world. That's since gone global and digital. We've worked with you know, now three and a half thousand businesses. We've been named, you know, business innovators of the year, business advisors of the year, fast growth businesses of the year. You know, so we've we've kind of been picked up in the, by the media and then picked up by some of the big global awards like Virgin Awards, Lloyd's Bank Awards, and and what have you. So uh, it's been very a rewarding to get the industry recognition for what we do. But you know, obviously hearing and seeing the like radical success of what you've done with Inspire as an exemplar of what this methodology does when you go, okay, we're good at what we do. Let's just improve our pitch, publish some content, build more digital scalable products, raise our profile and do partnerships. And just there's Mm -hmm. a there's a natural (laughs) expansion that happens. And often we'll see businesses as yours did go from, you know, well, you know, often we'll see businesses that will go from hundreds of thousands of revenue to millions, often yeah. millions in profit within the space of about two to three years. And that's just wild where mm. on reflection, people go, <laughs> what we do hasn't changed, right? The skills like haven't learned anything new about how to deliver value to customers. We've just packaged it way mm. better and every, everything changed. Whereas I think most people get caught up in the loop of, I've got to learn more stuff i've got to listen to another podcast i've got to you know yep. improve my ability to be an accountant or to be a lawyer or to be an interior designer it's often like actually you really don't it's mm. the it's the packaging that carries a, a huge amount of weight if you're already good at what you do
0: yeah absolutely and i, um, I was just talking to another accountant that i haven't spoken to in a few years and they and kind of knew of my early journey and and just catching up and sharing where we're at and and he was just he was blown away like shitting bricks at, um at what we've done especially in the last few years and uh he's like where do i start and i'm like oh uh, <laughs> like there's there's not there's not a simple answer for that but um but yeah i mean one, one of my suggestions was definitely the uh the key person of influence program and uh, that that's not all that dent global does in terms of just that, that program itself. Uh, another, another one that, again, we've got tons of value out is oversubscribed. Um, could, could you walk us through some of the methodology around that? Because I think that's, that's great. Because I mean, there, there will be a few listeners as well who, uh, who know about the KPI program or have done it. But yeah, walk us through the, the oversubscribes.
1: Yeah, so if you, if you think about the idea that if, if there's an entrepreneurial journey, if there's an acceleration, it, it starts with creation of value Mm. Right? And then what we want to think about how to do is create influence around that value. And as a result of the influence around the value that we have, and the influence comes from the five P's that we're talking about, then we want to work out, well, how do we actually then use all these new assets and this infrastructure and the awards and the positioning and the books and the blogs and the articles and the digital layers and all, all these kind of infrastructure that we've got, this positioning now that we've got, how do we leverage that from a performance marketing perspective? Mm. And essentially, you know, Dan's book, Oversubscribed and the methodology. Is is really an antidote to the problem of I suck at marketing, I don't know how to market my business. And mm-hmm. you know, oversubscribed is also really engineered for businesses that are building themselves as standout organizations, right? So, you know, you really can't perfume a pig or or sharpen a brick or you know, so so but often for those businesses, traditional marketing misses a, a really I suppose powerful opportunity, and so the the oversubscribed architecture dives in to some really key principles that most people just forget about and as a result of not going back to first principles, they end up spending way too much time and energy on the wrong things when it comes to promoting and marketing and, and generating demand for for what they do and, and you know the, the very first principle is you know, only oversubscribed businesses make a profit. Hmm. You know, if, if you, you can look at a great example is the difference between Rolex and any airline hmm. in the world, pretty much, right? Like any airline in the world, just imagine, and, and COVID aside, right, just imagine the logistics, Like right? If you were to say, or if you were to go in and try and take over an airline, it's like not only do you have all the regulation in terms of flight safety, you've got the engineering, then you've got the customer service, then you've got bookings and cancellations and international and luggage and like the scope of logistics. And you know, given that scope of, we're going to work out a market, we're going to work out how to get you on a flight, right into a seat, and just the logistics of that with your bags underneath and and rocket you around the world and your bags are going to come out, etc. And we're gonna have food there, except if the food isn't hot, right? <laughs> you're gonna be pissed, yeah. right? And, and all of a sudden, if one little thing like the food isn't hot or the luggage doesn't come out, like not, notwithstanding the fact that there's this organization that's got you to the other side of the planet <laughs> safely, you're gonna have a shit experience. And you're gonna be putting stuff on on Twitter and Facebook and what have you. And these businesses tend to run at a you know four to five percent margin which is yeah, yeah. tiny and yet mm. a huge amount of energy and resources goes into trying to do that on the other hand you have rolex mm. which frankly isn't a great watch if you're interested in telling the time right like a a, a, a casio that you would uh. buy at a petrol station will hold time mm. better than a rolex mm. and yet You know, when Rolex rolls out its new Submariner or, you know, whatever it might be, there is literally a waiting list Mm. of people that have already put their names down. And, you know, when it gets released, they get that call or they get that email saying it's available, but there's only about 1,500 of them. And all of a sudden there's 10,000 people that want this new watch and bang. You know, it's, not only does it sell out overnight, but billionaires can't get, often can't get access to the watch that they want because there, there was a limited amount of supply. And as a result, this is an incredibly profitable business that does a very simple thing, not all that well <laughs> in terms of the, the production of the watch itself. Right? You would not want to fly in a plane that had been built by Rolex. <laughs> um, but you, uh, you definitely yeah. would want to learn about how to market your business like mm. Rolex because, of course, let's also remember that Rolex isn't in the business of, of, of telling people the time, right? In any given point, we've probably got another couple of devices on us that could tell us that time. It's a, it's a symbol. It represents something else entirely. But it's very interesting to think about, you know, we, we get a lot of people that are fixated on improving their systems and best practices, which like an airline needs incredible systems and best practices right and what they're trying to do is optimize a very tiny amount of profit we like to focus on with our clients around the oversubscribe methodology is mm. how do we get you so oversubscribed that you are so profitable that you don't have to be you don't have to have the level of precision as an air, of an airline mm. to be very profitable and add great value to to your customers and an audience and so you know when when we say that only oversubscribed businesses make a profit and then we look at any business that we're talking to and we, we help them unpack it and we give them a bit of an audit etc it turns out on average about 80 to 85 percent of people's time in a business an owner is going into optimizing the manufacture of supply so delivering great value yep. uh, and optimizing the systems and processes around that well to deliver great value we need a great team so we're going to build hiring processes well to have a great team we need a great culture So Mm. culture processes and then the management of all that. All of this is optimizing supply. And often the demand and and the infrastructure and the assets and the architecture and the rhythm and the campaigns that need to be run to engineer demand, to manufacture demand, are overlooked or avoided because, you know, oh, it's marketing, it's sales, it's just, Mm -hmm. can't we please just you know, be good at what we do and that be enough. So there's a whole bunch of principles like that. Some of the other principles are things like people aren't proactive, right? So yeah. some of these are blunt, right? And it's the recognition that you can have all this great value to offer, but if you're expecting people to proactively find you, to proactively evaluate their own problems and frustrations, to proactively then pick up the phone and, and <laughs> place an order, like you mm-hmm. are out of your mind delusional, right? And so then it's okay. So how do we as an organization take responsibility for being proactive without being spammy, right, without being chasey, without being needy? And this is where the influence and the oversubscribed and the positioning and all that kind of comes together with this elegant, I suppose, dance where you can maintain the positioning of or as the key person of influence. Quite the opposite of being needy, you've often got a waiting list, but just because you've got a waiting list doesn't mean you don't stop uh doesn't mean you stop becoming oversubscribed. And so when we talk to business owners and they see that deficiency and when, like yourself, they build that stuff into their organization and they see the shift, it's like, yeah. get it. And it's, and it's kind of like the elephant in the room, right? Once you see it, you can't not see it. <laughs> yep. But uh, yeah, most, most businesses are just in in the struggle. And I guess that's where we, we bring the most value mm. is we get to kind of come in and take people's blinkers off, show them the blind spots. And, you know, we just like working with people that, that then want to do the work required for that kind of growth and prosperity because you've got to do the work anyway. Mm. And it's just, do you want to do the work to keep your head above water or do you want to do the work to, to kick the door off the hinges?
0: Yeah, that's it. And I think one of the most um, dangerous positions I've seen business owners in is where they're the technician or the person delivering, but they're also the salesperson and the marketing person. And they yeah, just- it's a
1: little- it's yeah. a little business. It's a uh, you know, they'll top out mm-hmm. at a quarter of a million, maybe half a million, if they've got something hot and they've got some yep. things like that. But you know, at any given point, if they stop, the whole thing's done. Yeah. Um, yep. Or if they and so if, there's no get, no resilience.
0: That's it. They, they get too stuck into delivery, and then the the leads dry up, and then oh no, we've got no work. We will go back to back delivery, and then it's just phoom, phoom, and then phoom. there's and then
1: and then you're sitting there pointing out that they're on a cash flow yo-yo, and you know yeah. they're stressed out of their mind, and there's no way that that stress mm-hmm. isn't Affecting their family life and isn't mm. impacting their kids, and their kids absolutely. are learning that oh, my mum or dad's just off and away and kind of stressed and distant all the time. And this money thing seems to be a real problem. And you know, oh, money equals anxiety. And it's like, what are you teaching your kids? Mm. Yep,
0: uh, absolutely. Uh, there you go. And and um, I'm going to switch topics, but before I do that, I just what's the next step someone can take to learn about the KPI program or oversubscribe? So, yeah, just just while we're here.
1: Yeah, sure. Like, so if anyone wants to reach out, just DM me on, Mm. um, you know, mostly Instagram, Facebook are probably the ones to um, to grab me. On LinkedIn's fine as well. LinkedIn's getting a bit noisy. Uh, Just say, hey, it was on the, you know, on on the podcast with with Ben. Shoot us your your name and address. We'll send you a copy of the Key Person of Influence book, Mm. gratis. Love to you know, love to get that out there. If anyone wants to benchmark their ability to influence. You know, we've got the key person of influence scorecard. It's kind of like a checklist that helps you audit how you're currently going in each of the five areas pitch, publish, product, profile, partnership. Literally, if you just Google Key Person of Influence scorecard, that'll pop up. Yep. I would do that as well. And that'll Mm. that'll kind of a put you well and truly in our funnel, which will give you access to everything else you do. If you want to go just top level, there's dent.global, which is our Mm. kind of global site. But yeah, someone can DM me, we'll get you a copy of the book or yeah, if you just go through and, and Google key person influence scorecard, going through that process, not only will it give you essentially where you sit as a benchmark, what you should focus on, where you're already strong, et cetera. So really a set of priorities, but that rabbit hole will also get you to be able to access the book either in the physical or the audio version as well. So whatever's more convenient. Yeah. Definitely. Thank you, mate, for giving us the, the chance to shout that out.
0: Yep, uh, all good, and we'll we'll pop some links in the show notes if anyone's listening to to get some direct links there. And um, yeah, I'd, I'd definitely recommend checking it out. It's um, yeah, again, I can't speak highly enough of the uh, the transformation it's had on Inspire. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Uh, very cool. Now, sh- shifting from like into a bit more of a like how you as a leader and and you know running a business has gone since let's say you know a handful of people in the GFC when. <laughs> When that happened, uh, r- right through to now, which um, you're around about 45 team globally now, around about yeah. That
1: yeah, yeah. Through a few through a few acquisitions as well, though. Yep. So, what we? Sorry, what was the, the end of your question?
0: Yeah. yeah. The, the question was, like, what are some of the like lessons or the bits where you uh, you maybe were caught off guard, not not like without the awareness of, oh damn, I didn't even know I had to learn that stuff, or like where were oh, the sort right. of <laughs> those bits? Yeah.
1: So it was probably when a mate of mine had to pull me aside and go, Oi, dude, you're not Steve Jobs, right? <laughs> so I, I, I had, I, so we were, we were going through a process of growth, right? We became the, the ninth fastest growing company in Australia, gone from zero to four and a half million in a bit over a couple of years. Hmm. And I was in three states a week. Living on airplanes, right? (laughs) Yeah, just Mm -hmm. absolutely burning the candle at both ends. This is before family. Mm -hmm. Burning the candle at both ends, had teams spread around primarily in Australia, Brisbane, Sydney, and Melbourne, but also logistically working with the UK, Mm -hmm. Singapore, our operations in Tampa, right? And so I'd never had to deal with anything like that before. I was stretched. We grew too fast, too quick. Mm -hmm. I didn't have any of the operational knowledge that i do now in terms of how to run a business mm. i'd applied all the principles we've sort of talked about so far and it grew the business really quickly mm. and it was just shredding itself from the inside and i was so frustrated because i felt like i'm all i'm doing is talking about you know the vision and where we're going and the team are constantly telling me that i know what they're meant to be doing and the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing and we had siloed information and comms was shit and we were Burning people out, and I'd hire them, and they'd leave, and like this was, and I was, you know, so frustrated. Little things like we'd be sending out emails with the wrong dates and times on it, and I was just losing my shit because all I wanted was to have a really high standard of how we delivered value, and I kind of had an expectation that the people on the team should have been able to to do that, Hmm. and I was kind of essentially blaming them, and I was angry, and I was, which was an expression of my frustration, and I remember. There was one person on the team that i that I'd, uh, we, we'd had on the team. i had been friends from from high school. This wasn't Dan, it was someone else. And they're running our technology. And another email went out that was wrong. And I just took a pair of my sunglasses and I threw them against the wall and they exploded and shattered. And in that moment, I kind of went, oh, I'm a dickhead. Yeah. And it was all with the veiled in the best of intentions, mm-hmm. right? But my execution was, inappropriate right (laughs) and um Uh. and so and so it was actually dan he's just like because because you know i had i had steve jobs on a bit of a pedestal we called the company dent it's an homage to him and his phrase you know his quote that he said it's the role of every entrepreneur to make a dent in the universe etc and you know i felt like that you know he has this reputation of of holding a hard line and holding high standards and not giving anyone any room for you know making mistakes etc so I read his books and listened to everything and watched everything I could because I thought, this guy, right? And, uh, and so I tried to have this standard and I was a bit of an asshole and I was holding a high standard. And, and Dan was just like, yeah, but you're, you're not a billionaire and you're not, <laughs> you're, not you're not, Steve Jobs. Oh, and, and, you know, if there's something that I think I am very good at, I'm very good at taking feedback and I don't have an ego around mm. stuff. And, and instantly I dropped it all. Mm. And, you know, often when the student is ready, the master would appear. I was on a retreat in San Francisco. We had a, a like a, a coach, I suppose, come in and, and do some work with us. This is part of a, an EO uh, entrepreneur organization group mm-hmm. that I was a part of. And um, he talked about this thing. I can't remember what he called it. I ended up appropriating it and calling it the, the curious entrepreneur where I was, and it's interesting, right? Because Steve Jobs had actually been referred to as the genius with a thousand helpers, right? In the sense yeah. that. He was the font of all knowledge and and information of what needed to happen, and he had the 1,000 helpers that he would sort of delegate down to, whether this is true or not, right, Uh, because actually I think from what I know of Jobs, he was quite good at empowering people to do what they do, but I think it was referencing that in the early days he was the genius with a 1,000 helpers and then where Apple really came into its own Hmm. is when he he shifted, right, In, in terms of not, trying to be the source of all wisdom and, and giving other people the opportunity to do their best work. And so I guess to sort of rapidly try and come back and answer your question, mm-hmm. I'd been essentially my, trying to micromanage everything because there was an underlying belief that you know, as the leader, it was my job to have the answers to all the questions and it was everybody else's job to do their job. Mm-hmm. What I now call the curious entrepreneur, it's my job to know, I see it it's my job to know exactly where we are now, today, as an organisation, from how much money is in the bank account to our financials, to our culture, to our positioning within our competitive landscape, to you know when our team's birthdays are. You name it. There's mm. that. On the flip side, it's my job to understand where we're going to be in one year, three years, five years with from all of those same metrics like like qualitatively from a culture and a brand perspective and quantitatively from a PL and l cash flow balance sheet perspective those two things my old self thought that it was up to me to then work out how to get from where we are to where we want to be the shift for me was to become the curious entrepreneur that would ask my team and go well this is where we are now this is where we want to be what can you bring to the table How how can you help mm. us bridge that gap? Because frankly, I don't know what I'm talking about. Mm. And I would literally say that to team. And what blew me away, it took about 12 months for the culture to change mm-hmm. from everyone being a bit bit twitchy waiting for Glenn to go on a, a bit of a, a blowout <laughs> to actually like, oh, no, he, he not just wants but expects me to come up with a solution to this problem. Oh, yep. Now, some people immediately jump ship. hmm but as a result of that we actually attracted some incredible humans that are totally mm. self-motivated totally self-orientated totally creative totally outcome driven and love the fact that i could hold those poles of where we are now where we want to be and they could get on with bringing their piece to the puzzle and i i think if there was one thing that i guess i'd learned in that journey of growing the business to Mm. the point where there's way more complexity, like we're a global business now at any given point, someone's buggering something up. (laughs) And and the fact that the whole team now have this culture means that very, very rarely do I need to come in to anything, operational sales, marketing, Mm. et cetera, to fix anything because the team are able to auto correct and fix themselves because they know where we are. They know where we're going and they Mm. know what Mm. needs to be done to, to do it and so it was that shift from being trying to be the genius with a thousand helpers and yet i wasn't a genius Mm. to being a curious leader where i could help people tap into their genius to get us where we want to go i hope that makes sense but that was the the thing i think that was probably the biggest the biggest liberator and the thing that allowed me to defuse the the greatest amount of stress and anxiety and ended up ultimately giving me the freedom of not being sucked into the business at all because mm, I'd build mm. a culture that ran the business for me.
0: And that's hugely beneficial for you, you and your, your your mind, but also your family and the team get to step up. Like I just see so much benefits of that sort of approach yeah. rather than
1: Oh, it's there's mm. no mm. there's no downside other than one must relinquish one's ego. The the mm. the moment I recognize that I'm not good at running a business like i can i can grow a business i can lead a business but there's a very Mm. different thing between growth leadership and operational management yep and so the moment i'm like i don't run businesses i I can lead them i can grow them i don't run them and so therefore i need to get very curious around the people that do and are good at doing that that changed everything yeah wow
0: there you go thanks for sharing that um, and I've got one one kind of last question. With you know, obviously, the last couple of years has changed a lot of business models, and and especially face to face delivery. You, you you were originally quite heavily face to face, having having workshops in Australia in Brisbane, City, Melbourne. Like, what are you doing now in terms of online versus face to face, and and doing that from Ginderbine rather than Bondi. <laughs>
1: So we, yes, so we were, we had face-to-face in Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, mm. Singapore, Tampa, Florida, London, Birmingham. And so running lots of events, workshops, bringing in speakers, the AV, the setup, the infrastructure mm. for doing that, whole teams just to manage the logistics of events. And of course, COVID shut that down, but we still had the 50-odd team, right? So we are um, buried across 12 different time zones, or still up. And so we were already on Slack and Zoom and Dropbox and you know all these different I guess tools that mm. that you know everyone now takes for granted. We were already running our global all hands meetings and internal teams, etc. We had offices, but literally only about thirty percent, even twenty five percent of our global team mm. were ever in an office uh, at one point. So we already had the infrastructure. So literally the moment. That in Australia, this whole like hey, you can't do events anymore. It's like <clears throat> within mm. it took us a week to have yeah, a, a, it reorganized yeah. to be able to do exactly what we used to do, but on Zoom. The problem was is that when people come in for a physical event, it's a one day or a two day thing because yeah. if you're going to get a speaker, if you're going to do all this stuff, it doesn't make sense to do it for a couple of hours. So the first problem with we could well we could go to to Zoom the Zoom model effortlessly our a whole day of kpi content when you're not in a room with other people mm. there's not the tea and coffee breaks there's not that all, it, it is a lot of time to spend looking at you know the brady bunch boxes on a screen yep. and so we went then through probably a 6 to 9 month process of re, totally reimagining from the ground up with a new set of premises because the moment mm. this happened we're like we're never going back Very quickly, we started having clients join us from all around the world. So the idea of going back to any kind of physical events was just off the table because we'd instantly piss off now half of our new clients that were never going to be able to get on a plane and come to Sydney. So instantly, that was a huge shift. Straight away, our performance of our client success went straight up because it cut out logistics, it cut out all this sort of stuff. And then instead of delivering a one day or a two day immersion session every six weeks or so, which is how you experienced it, we now run three sprints a year where every two weeks it's a two and a half hour immersion. We focus on one thing, getting one thing built into your business and doing it really well. Two weeks off, another two hour session, two and a half hour session, two weeks off. We do that five times through a 10 week sprint. We have coaching. Uh, our coaches come in and do accountability work with different accountability groups that we put together. So there's a lot of accountability, a lot of mentoring, a lot of hand holding, a lot of one to one feedback where you're picking one thing. And then, you know, what we'd find is in a one day session, you know, people after about two and a half hours kind of got it and then ooh, were there for the rest of the day. Whereas this way, no commuting, get in, get what they need, yep. implement that. Often on the session, we often mm. get people being like, it's already done, like, amazing. And that's then there because everything we do isn't about training or education. It's about the implementation of these mm. assets of influence. And so the speed now that we're seeing, we're seeing clients what they would normally do in 18 months to two years, in six to nine months, just, <clears throat> and without the level of intensity, there was always this pressure of, you know, this is the one day I've got to learn everything I need to learn about pitching my business. It's like, oh, <laughs> Whereas now it's just now it's just open. People can just yep. keep coming back. They yeah. can keep coming back. Just keep coming back. Jump in, jump in. Like it doesn't end, mm. right? You jump in, you go through cycle one, cycle two, cycle three, three cycles in a year. But then you can jump into cycle four, cycle five, cycle six, mm. cycle seven, cycle. Like it's just a, it's an infinite game now. So what that I suppose does it takes the pressure off people. It's like oh okay, I can just mm. apply best practice, build this in, you know, and uh, stay for as long as it's adding value. So that's been, a, I suppose, the the biggest shift is that it's we're, we've been able to, we're now able to deliver it not quite in micro learning chunks but in small bite sized pieces. That's way less overwhelming, way more efficient. Gets people to be launching new mm. products and new services in the market way faster. And so you know, for us, the digital thing, what we lose mm. is a lot of that face to face community stuff. But when we really got clear on what is our core promise to the world, it's not face-to-face community stuff. It lets produce you as a key person of influence that can go kick the door off the hinges, become mm-hmm. oversubscribed, and you know make a dent in the universe. And you know you can attract your own friends and opportunity as a result of that. Now, while the the face-to-face stuff is nice, there's lots of ways to get face-to-face engagement with business communities and things of that nature. And so we've just gone, we've just doubled down on. Mm. on our superpower which is we produce key people of influence there's the facebook groups where there's huge amounts of partnerships and opportunities we're in the middle of giant floods up in you know mm. Queensland uh, yeah. where where you are and in the surrounding areas and you know we're, we're, the the whole community is jumping together mobilizing resources and links and jumping in cars and getting out to where they can to provide supplies and resources we did, did the same thing in the fires that were you mm. know ravaging the the, co- the coasts of Australia prior to Prior to COVID, and so it's pretty wild being part of a, a digital community mm. when the, the need arises. Boots on the ground. It's cool. Yeah, beautiful.
0: Wow, that's um well done on that. that, that Thanks, mate.
1: Easy, yeah. but no, cheesy. it's proud. I'm, I'm proud of it. Yeah, it's a mm. it's a proud when when we see like it's great to see businesses and what have you. But when the shit hits the fan and you can see a mm. bunch of influencers come out of the woodwork to make shit happen, that's <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah, very cool.
0: Awesome. Well, hey, just just want to thank you again. I um, I'm I'm certain that that's added a ton of value to our listeners, and yeah, uh, appreciate you you sharing those next steps with us. With which we'll, we'll pop in the show notes again. As I said, uh, the links if anyone wants to uh, check out uh, more about Denton Glenn, Thank you, mate. And I think we're overdue for a beer. But uh...
1: yeah, mate, hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, I'm about to be a lot closer to yeah. you and let me just say, you, you have exemplified uh, as an organization everything that we want to impart, like the ability not only did you transform the way you pitched your business, that you know, the cashed-up book was extraordinary, the way you built out your products and your scorecards, and the way in which you also communicated the value and the way you focused on we're not just accountants saving tax like we're actually going to get you more cashed up in your business and here's how we're going to do it and here's the proof and here's the evidence and here's the celebrations and the campaigns you're then able to build around that and the dollar for a day camp uh the the, uh
0: uh
1: (laughs) yeah the day for a dollar where you know for for every dollar in tax you would save someone you'd give people access to a day worth of drinking water and sanitation and the way that that has grown to impact Millions of people, the partnerships, mm. the collaborations—like how you guys leverage partnerships to get the big four banks promoting your little at the time <laughs> <Tiny>. practice <laughs> a- around mm. the country and paying for venues and putting you in front of people—and like mm. you know, you're signing all that up as clients, allowing you to expand all of that off the bank of the big banks' money. Like you've just nailed it. And so, mate, not just thanks for having for having me on here. I love. You know, getting to talk about what we do but to do it by the invitation of someone who's just executed this stuff just fills me with stoke so yeah. thanks for just the work that you do man it's killer
0: yeah thanks so much matt that that means a lot all righty well uh thanks again mate and uh <laughs> rock and roll uh, all righty i'll uh, i'll chat to you soon
1: go make a dent mate cheers, cheers.
0: Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to get in touch with today's guests, you can find their contact information in the show notes in the podcast section of our website at inspire.business. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the Young Family Small Business Podcast, be sure to subscribe, leave a rating and a review. Also do join our Facebook community. You can find that by going to youngfamilysmallbusiness.com. And if you're interested in speaking with an Inspire accountant, head to inspire.business forward slash chat, where you can book a free 20-minute strategy call. And lastly, to catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on my Instagram, uh, which is the at symbol, Ben Walker, C-A, all one word, or at inspire underscore accountants. Thanks again, and see you next time.